This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. Today's show, I speak to Khalil Majid, co-founder and project director of FactCheck, as we have a discussion with him on disinformation and the work he and his team are doing to combat it. You know, welcome, Khalil. Would you mind introducing yourself and sharing a bit about what you do? So, hi, my name is Khalil Majid. I am the project director for FactCheck. We are a media literacy and fact-checking organization based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. By we, I mean me and my business partner, Chan Tao Cho, uh, who's based in Singapore. So I, we work primarily with uh, universities in Malaysia to build capacity to combat uh, disinformation in Malaysia. And the way we do that is by training students to become fact-checkers. Uh, we've worked with numerous universities in Malaysia and uh, have seen quite a lot of success. I think it was also because when we started in around 2020, it was uh, an apt time to start, I guess, to put it bleakly, because we were, that's when COVID started and our services then were necessary, I guess, in that sense. And we were countering disinformation around COVID during the COVID pandemic. And we've moved on to, uh, we recently did the one, we recently started working with uh, Jomcheck which is a, uh, an alliance of fact-checkers in Malaysia and newsrooms and academics to combat disinformation during uh, both PRRU in 2022 and the PRN very recently. Well, I guess it's very interesting, right, to understand the trigger of the inception of fact-check because you said that it was born in 2020 as a frustration about the bleak environment of the pandemic but disinformation has been around for a long time, right? Did it just escalate a lot in that year? I mean, I, I, I don't want to say it was because of the pandemic, but I think we, what I mean by it is we started coincidentally because during the pandemic. Our original plan wasn't to have the pandemic there, is <laughs> to say the least. Uh, we were initially going to, we were there primarily to build up something that was going to be a useful tool for the public to you know ask questions about uh, misinformation uh, that was going around and we was going to try to help them answer it uh, when we first started it was more or less us going in kind of blind i guess uh, to say the least because there was no one else to look up to in malaysia we had to look at you know the us the uk and use their tools and techniques our goal initially was to scale it to what malaysia needed uh, to malaysianize it in that sense and We've been doing that since. And I guess what I was saying as well was like, you know, COVID was just a convenient, serendipitous way, I guess, to Malaysianize it because we learned quite a lot in those two years. And we worked because we were working with students as well. They helped us really learn about how to turn something that's so complicated and something so simple that's useful for Malaysians. Yes. So I'm very intrigued why you pick students, right, as and university students in particular as the army of fact-checkers. Why did you think this was the right group to target? Primarily because we felt that they were at a level that, where they could understand the tools and the techniques that we were using and be able to offer them the ability to learn and write and develop content that was relevant to people. They were at a, uh, I think it comes down to maturity for us because we wanted to provide them not only 
a way to, you know, not only a skill that they could use daily in their lives, in their schools, in their education and everything, but also something that they could take back home and teach to other people. And they were in a space where they were enthusiastic and they were they had the right mentors as well around them. So because when we work with universities, we're not working just with students, we're working with the university itself uh, in the sense that we have a uh, what we call a supervisor, so a, a lecturer of, uh, of some kind who works with the students, who develops the team around them. And we are, we, 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 we talk about this a lot when we talk to any new team that wants to work with us, which is you must have a supervisor, someone who's very enthusiastic about the programs and we, who then is able to choose a group of students themselves to learn and work on these things rather than we go into a university and blindly just pick random people and go, ah, you know, you are the, you're, you're the right person for this because you seem enthusiastic. But rather the, the, the supervisors do it and we're always very grateful for all the work that they do. Um, and it was just that basically i think it just came down to for us as a start it was also much easier to work with universities because i feel like universities are a much more open space yeah. for people to study rather than if we went to like high schools something that we had to go through the ministries um, and everything and that's difficult that's right and i think i think at that age also there's a certain maturity but then also expectation to have critical thinking uh and it's very interesting that you position it as being part of needing that social support of your supervisor, right? So you kind of bring the institution to the mix as well. Um, but was it easy for you to induct students in? Were students intrigued and interested to actually participate in this? Or was there skepticism that this is actually an exercise of futility? The honest truth is not every university we've worked with was successful, but also I think it's not it's down to a, a number of factors. But the ones that have stuck with us, primarily University Kabangsa in Malaysia, which is a uh, Malaysian public university, and the University of Nottingham, Malaysia, which is a private university. So we have that mix, which is really nice. Uh, and they've been with us for three years. And we've worked with other universities, uh, and there's also been interest by more universities in Malaysia to join uh, us as well uh, over the years. There, it's not always that easy to get the university to sign up for it, but with the right supervisors, we've seen that it's very easy to induct students because the I think the opportunity we've provided to these students over the years we've seen it and for and you know we've gotten all those like thank you uh, emails and notes and everything as well from them which is really heartwarming and nice as well uh, of, of where they've come worked with us learned learned with us um, designed things helped us think about different things worked on concepts ideas stories done fact check after fact check uh, uh, with us and then you know uh, once they're done they've they because we treat it like an internship we give them the opportunity to learn over the period and however long they want to be with us and and then you know some of them have gone to uh, continue their masters and some are working at big companies now and they've just sent us emails going oh you know, thanks for helping us in for all the work that you've done. This was a really helpful and it's a really good experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So let me understand, right? The student comes in, what 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 process, what education, what training do you provide? And then post-training, what are they deployed to do then? So our process is essentially when a student comes in, they learn what we like to call the compressed book of learning fact-checking, essentially, and verification. Uh, they, they learn how to run a fact-check, write a fact-check. We because we've templated a lot of these things for them so that it's a lot easier to induct and run through these processes. And they go through a lot of very simple, what we call simple trainings uh, that they uh, on, on how to use uh, open source intelligence tools, you know, um, using uh, mapping tools to find stuff that online that they want to look for. So things that 
we think nowadays need to be basically part of education and uh, we teach them how to kind of think critically, I guess, in a sense as well, uh, contextualize things better, write things better, and we guide them through that over time. Uh, what we've seen, I think, is one of the, like, the, the better like uh, experiences has been that one of the teams when we first started, we worked with them very closely for about three months explaining to them how things were. They were running fact checks with us. You know, they'll find a story, run the story. And after three months, they would ask us a lot of questions. And after three months, they stopped asking questions because we just do it themselves. We didn't, we didn't have to hold their hands anymore. They're like, okay, okay, I will do this. And they'll just give us the report. And like, okay, is this good? Yeah, that's good enough. Can you give us some examples of what you saw where your team of students were able to just kind of arrest this, this information? I, I think the most recent one, if you go onto our Twitter or uh, you will see a story on uh, the Fukushima Daiichi uh, wastewater treatment, the treated wastewater release. Uh, and there was this video of a beheaded fish floating in algae and whatnot. That was done entirely by our students, like uh, a couple of students who were working on it. And what they did was they were focused, one of the students, she is focused entirely on, she's an environmental sciences student and she's interested in, in the environment, obviously. So she wanted to focus on the Fukushima story and she's been working on it. And so she found this specific uh, item and she fact-checked it with her teammate and, and published the story against it. And the research was very good. All the stuff that she's done, she's produced from it. It's very good, I think. Uh, and it was eventually uh, co-posted, like uh, picked up and reposted uh, on Malaysia Kini as well. So I would say like, you know, it's pretty good work for by, by, by a couple of students. Yeah, it's pretty excellent. And, and you know, coming back again to training these students, right? You were saying that they had to go through a program which was uniquely Malaysian. You took uh, UK, US tools and you made it Malaysian. Could you give us some examples of Malaysianized uh, the training program and tools? Uh, very simply, I think we, when we first started, we were trying to be a bit too complicated with these things. Like, because uh, I mean, it, these skills, it's very broad. Like you can teach it for hours and you'll, and you'll still need to teach it for another few hours. So what we did is we found the most useful ones, compressed it into tools that they could use very easily and effectively to counter disinformation. And because we feel like over the last few years of working on this, that 99% of disinformation can easily be countered by Googling it. Like it's, a, it's just one Google search away and you can kind of get the answers. But people don't have the time most of the time. That's why we kind of uh, help with these things. And it's also about learning how to contextualize things. So we try to contextualize it in a sort of, uh, in a manner that makes it easier to understand, to simplify everything. We don't try to be very foreign in, in the way of writing it, where they are very academic minded, I want to say. Like, you know, they, the way they write is very thesis based. You know, everything has, has to have a link and, and that link has to have a reference and all these things. So no one's really going to read that. So we try to teach it in the sense that, that appeals to Malaysian, which we found to be more story. So storify it, try to give it, give more pictures and examples that work for them. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with Khalil Majid, co-founder and project director of Fact Check. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show is Khalil Majid, co-founder and project director of Fact Check. Now, earlier, Khalil, you know, we talked relatively extensively about how you are building this army to help address and combat this this disinformation. But how do we get to the root cause of disinformation? How can we trace the source of all this false information? We have done it a couple, a few times, actually. Uh, um, 
I think one of the stories that uh, we we did during COVID was uh, on ivermectin. I don't know if you remember what ivermectin was. It was a horse tranquilizer, uh, sorry, horse dewormer that was used as a means to uh, cure COVID. Supposedly, this is I'm just putting up air quotes just to make sure that it's <laughs> it's clear. And we we found we we found and traced the story back to America where it started and how it slowly sort of funneled its way into Malaysia and how it, how ministers in the government were played a part in promoting it and creating, you know, create anxiety around because everyone wanted a solution. All these things. I mean, tracing stuff is one thing, but I want to say that we can trace everything back, but it's not the easiest thing to do. And it's probably, okay, I think the, the easiest way I can explain this is in the arms race of disinformation, we are currently playing catch up and it's, it's something we're not winning, but at least we're doing something about it, is what I want to say. Which is, which is a very good point, which is that actually the key is the response time, right? Like when you see something, how fast do you respond to it and basically try and address it fast? Speed is of the essence, isn't it? When you think about these things before it spreads like a wildfire. You know, you give examples where, of course, throughout the pandemic, when people are very scared and worried, you know, these things you know proliferate very fast. Now, fast forward to today, post-pandemic, where are the sources of disinformation in your observation? Um, okay, so I just want to roll back a bit about being the fastest to counter it because it's not always the case with disinformation. Sometimes it's about, like I mentioned, like you know, it's all about like contextualizing the disinformation and then countering in a way that matters to people so that they understand. Uh, I think speed is important, but not the main thing sometimes with a lot of these things. So it's... Because there's a point at which what we call the tipping point at which this information becomes a threat. Because they can, there's right, even right now while we're talking, there's probably something, someone saying somewhere, something online that is false. But it doesn't really matter to us because contextually it doesn't have any impact or spread in, in, in Malaysia, right? So, so that part's important. But now, you know, post pandemic, fast forward to today, what are the core issues where you see disinformation thriving? Right. So um, it's very event based. The most recent one was uh, the uh, the state elections. So lots of chatter around state elections, a lot of chatter around what's going on, who's the evil people and what was the next big thing and policies and all these things that were popping up. Uh, race, religion, hate speech, all these things were playing out during the, the state elections. So it's very much event-based. So things that are happening around and people pick up that they can then spread or create anxieties around. That's what more or less is happening because you need that fire you need that topic that's being discussed that, that's that sort of sizzling that people want to talk about to share that's how you could, it's how we theorize that the clicks work kind of because uh, if there's no interest in that topic there is no interest in the issues that are happening at the time then there's no one's going to click or share or you know create tiktoks around it so like recently uh, we saw i guess more or less you'll find on pl the platforms that matter uh we're looking at WhatsApp a lot of the time because people share a lot on WhatsApp. Uh, 800 million users, you know, and all these things, and, and it's constantly becoming more and more connected. Similarly, Telegram is a it's a it's a great place to find this information because uh, of all its closed groups and all these things that they talk about. Facebook as well with all the closed groups. Twitter is another one I think, but that's a very specific kind of grouping that you find. It's more leaning to a certain topic or certain issue but yeah that's more or less what we look at in Malaysia but WhatsApp I think is primarily a big source for, for what we do.
what is the government's role in trying to address this you know, issue? I, I think that's a very tricky question to answer because it, it, it cuts into the whole issue of you know the freedom of expression and speech. Uh, and that I'm not entirely sure if I'm the right person to answer a question of what the government needs to do in a sense. I mean, obviously, the, the big thing that we try to do, at least from our end, is to promote education around the topic because it seems to be the most proactive way of countering disinformation by creating, you know, a generation that's able to understand what they what they are interacting with and, uh, and, and dealing with it in a way that benefits them rather than benefits someone else. Uh, similarly, I think there needs to be more programs around creating more awareness around these issues. I mean, if we look at Indonesia, how the governments there uh, have, uh, uh, you know, working alongside newsrooms and uh, fact checkers, created festivals and all these things to counter hoaxes. That's what they call them in Indonesia. And they were effective. You know, people came, learned about it and went home and they enjoyed themselves. And it's a way to do it. I, I, I don't want to use... I don't want to say there is a law you could magically create that would stop, stop all of this. Uh, I had this chat with uh, a few people and it's not something that I'm in favour of personally that, to use laws to counter disinformation because it's very difficult to make sure it's done right, I guess. You know, there's so much pressure that certain platforms like perhaps Facebook could be able to do something when it's posted. But when you say platforms like Telegram and WhatsApp, it's also very hard, right? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, my, my belief is, is that when it comes to platforms, the, there is a need to kind of pressure them to work harder to do these things. We, we've seen this with TikTok. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to throw praise around, but, you know, that the fact that they've actually, they were pressured into doing more work to counter disinformation, take down accounts, posts on their platform and everything. I, I think that kind of pressure is useful. Uh, especially to highlight that you know th- that these things happen and action needs to be taken, particularly by these platforms. And that's the distinction, right? The motivation of the person. And it's so hard to assess someone's motivation in the process. I also think it's also challenging when you're trying to distinguish fact and opinion, isn't it? That's also sometimes another dimension where it's very hard to address it. Are you hopeful that this is just a phase of disinformation that's happening quite a lot in the past decade? Do you think we expect this to plateau or reduce in the year because society is beginning to become increasingly aware and more cautious? Looking at the way that technology is growing and you know you know evolving, I am I am more pessimistic than optimistic when it comes to how disinformation is going to spread. The rate of it, I think, is going to increase. It's going to become more complicated. It's going to become more advanced in the way that it's uh, shared and created. Like like I mentioned, you know, it's 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 becoming it's basically an arms race between us and them and how they want to spread it. Uh, they'll find more innovative ways of doing it and we'll find more innovative innovative ways of countering it. But that doesn't mean like we should give up because it's important to highlight to 
all these technology platforms very early on stuff like you know ai is 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 particularly a concern i guess uh, where deep fakes and everything that they need to have in place systems that can trace and uh, you know counter these kinds of things this i think that needs to happen and it's not some we can talk about it now but it's more of a it, there needs to be a global push or at least in for malaysia's side there needs to be you know legislative or regulatory pushes for stuff like this to happen but i can't say it for certain yeah but in the end kalil it is true right it is contingent on the reader the listener the consumer of the news to add a layer of filter right of double checking and being perhaps skeptical not cynical right about the information they get that's key isn't it that, that is i think the key part to all of this i think i grew up at a time where my grandfather made me read the newspaper and believe everything that was in it because the newspapers were the main source of information nowadays people have a lot of distrust towards news organizations newsrooms even journalists i think there is a trust deficit that exists now but that is also i think in a sense a good thing because if you don't trust it you still have you're going to question whether or not it's true so you need to look it up and figure out whether or not it's uh, you know it's real or not uh, and that part i think is already sort of engendered in us slowly over time and it's something we just need to work on more and more uh, to make sure that the things we share the things we look at the the, the things that are forwarded to us they're all real you know or at least they are factual in a sense uh, and to stop it's the easiest way to stop yourself from harming you know so you know how where your intention sort of collides with whether or not you want to be popular in a sense because your your share my like my mom wants to share a story about you know whether or not a plane's crashed in 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 Malacca or something for example and she's just sharing it out but her intention is to highlight oh you know look if you're in Malacca or something be be careful or you know share this out because other people want to know about it but in essence if she had that foresight of just going oh you know okay this this is a story about um like a plane crashing like maybe i'll just have a look online to see what other newsrooms are reporting on this maybe is is it real or not and by just looking it up we go oh actually actually it's not real and you know then she doesn't have to share it or spread it so in that sense it sort of contains the the virus of disinformation i guess That was Khalil Majid, co-founder and project director of Fact Check on this information. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.